Hello friends and neighbors, this is David Smith of Illinois Family Action with a special edition for our Spotlight podcast. Recently I gave the Sunday morning message at my church and since we captured the audio I thought we could post it here as a special edition for those who might be interested. In the Sunday morning sermon we're examining 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In this message I really dive into verse 3 in which Paul warns God's people Quote, let no one deceive you by any means. The ESV translates it as, let no one deceive you in any way. The NASB translates it as, no one is to deceive you in any way. Paul is warning us that before the end, before Jesus Christ returns to judge the world and to set things straight, there will be a great falling away in apostasy. It will be a deliberate abandonment of a former position, a defection, a rejection of a former alliance or truth. There will be a lot of people deceived and misled. So, without further delay, here is the exhortation. Good morning. Um, Today's message is titled... Let no one deceive you by any means. This do not be deceived phrase is also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 15, Galatians 6, and James 1. The main text for today's message, it's also found (laughs) in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I thank Brother Jim for reading the first chapter of uh, this epistle. And uh, we'll start with uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 in the first verse. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you still, that I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with his breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you for this Sunday morning that we can gather together and worship and, and to look into your word. I, Father, I pray for your spirit here today that you would work in our hearts and our minds. Open our ears, open our eyes, that we may see from your word, your truth. Anything that is outside of that, may it fall away and not uh, take root anywhere. But Lord, um, I just thank you for uh, the sermon series that Greg has been doing. Uh, the message last week from Brother Rich. Uh, Lord, you want us to be examining this issue at this point. This is your spirit leading us. And so, Father, I just pray that you would meet us here today as we consider this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. He had been there for a relatively short period of time, but what we can read, he got a lot done. There are a lot of things that he taught them in that short amount of time. And in this follow-up letter to the church, he greets them and he encourages them with a powerful and maybe not a typical way. Because in, in, in chapter 1, as you heard Jim read, he reminds them that yes, because they had become true followers of Christ, they were being persecuted. And there is coming a time where God can, will consider it a righteous thing to bring judgment upon those who are persecuting them. So, you know, those who hated Christ and therefore are going to hate them. And since they couldn't take out their hatred on Christ, they were taking out their hatred on those who followed Christ. And we've read that in Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, just recently. Paul reminds them that God will take care of that when he comes. There's not a lot of justice in our world, but there will be when Jesus comes again. So he encourages them with that truth. And then he starts to quickly clarify some of the things he had talked to them about before. Now, we can only imagine that when Paul had left town, there would be some who would dispute what he said or confuse what he was trying to teach. So Paul sent this second letter to fill in some important aspects and truths about the end times. There were all kinds of false teachings messing with the lives of the Thessalonians. And Paul loved them. And so he wanted them to know the truth. So he tells them in verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him... We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. He says, I know you've been hearing false things. They claim they are telling you the truth. But what they're saying does not sit in harmony with what God has said. And these errors are not harmless. So you can imagine how upsetting it was to some of the people in Thessalonica. I don't mean upset because you're in heavy traffic type of upset, right? We've all been there, right? It was undermining their faith. This was a different level of upset. It was becoming a spiritual obstacle to their growth. So he says, don't let this false teaching trouble you, arouse you, frighten you, or alarm you. No matter if the person says he heard it from the Spirit or he got special revelation, even if they say they got a letter from me, I don't care who's telling you this stuff. If they're telling you something that is different from what I taught you when I was there, 
It's a lie. It's disturbing, it's damaging, and it's bad teaching. That is why the Apostle Paul tells believers in verse 2, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Paul wasn't happy. False teachers, uh, teachings were disturbing and causing them to stumble in their faith. And he says in the second epistle to the Thessalonians, I keep doing that, sorry. Thessalonians, you're being deceived. Don't allow yourselves to be deluded by this. It's not from us. So, see, if we believe error, even about the things concerning Christ's coming, it has dam damaging effects on the way we live and how we view God. So the trouble had to be addressed as some people were telling some non-truths, some twisted truth, some stories that came, uh, contained just a little bit of truth, mixed with lots of lies, and it was hurting the church. In chapter 2, he says this very clearly. So this morning, I want to emphasize verse 3, in which Paul warns God's people, let no one deceive you by any means. The ESV, the English Standard Version, translates it as, let no one deceive you in any way. New American Standard Bible translates it as, no one is to deceive you in any way. Pretty clear, right? Either, either one of those verses, right? Translations. Paul is warning that before the end, before Jesus Christ returns to judge the world and to set things straight, come quickly, Lord Jesus, there will be a great falling away, an apostasy. It will be a deliberate abandonment of a former position, a defection, a rejection of a former alliance or truth. Paul is telling us that there will come a time when there'll be these Christians, or at least these Christians who self-identify as Christian, right? Who will deny the truth they once said they believed. And they'll walk away from the true gospel that they once preached. There is going to be a falling away. I believe that Paul is talking here about the grand, great, glorious, in a bad sense, ultimate end-time rebellion. He tells us that this must happen first. Paul warned Timothy about this too in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to fables. To fables. Now, of course, some of this happened in Paul's day. And it's happened in every generation since. There have been people who fall away. But I believe he's talking about a specific and a significant time of falling away. Think about the professing church. People in churches in the world who profess to be Christian. There's coming a time when people who profess to be Christian will deny the very Christ that's in the title that they claim. The very Christ that they profess. Who would that be? What would that be? If Christ comes back in the very near future, where is the great falling away? Can we see it around us? 
Let me ask you, do most churches with the name of Christ or who claim to be Christian believe in the resurrected, risen Lord? The one and only Jesus who mediates for us before the Father. It's not a trick question, okay? I'm not so sure. Whether it's Catholic or evangelical, far too many Christian church have, in fact, denied Christ. They are teaching what is error, and they're putting his name on it. Mrs. Hill sent me an article yesterday with the title, Nashville Church Comes Under Fire for Denying the Bible is God's Word. That was ChristianHeadlines.com. Let me read that again. Nashville Church Comes Under Fire for Denying the Bible is God's Word. That's the Bible Belt, brothers and sisters. Nashville. That's the buckle. There has been a dramatic departure from Orthodox Christian teaching over the past several decades. Some would say the drift has gotten worse with every century. Because Jesus claimed to be the one and only Savior, the only way to God the Father, how many professing Christians believe that anymore? That Jesus is the only way and everyone who dies outside of Christ will be eternally separated from God the Father. I think we'll find all kinds of leaders of Christian denominations that say, well, yeah, Jesus is the way, but so is all the other ways. And we need to be tolerant and open, right? Back in 2010, Dr. Albert Moeller from the Southern Baptist Convention wrote an article titled, Preachers Who Don't Believe, The Scandal of Apostate Pastors. That was 2010, 11 years ago. We also have a growing emergent church. And then we can add to that secular priests like Oprah Winfrey, Victoria Osteen, and Steve Harvey, who tell their millions of fans that there are multiple roads to heaven. And consider Grace Baldridge, an openly gay artist who goes by the stage name of Semler. Her song, Preacher's Kid, is the number one song on iTunes' Christian album chart this month. According to one article I read, Baldridge's song is about, quote, a project about coming out as a queer person of faith. That's their words. Okay? End quote. Queer person of faith. But it could just as be easily described as a raw glimpse into her struggles with doubt. Well, brothers and sisters, first of all, the Holy Bible calls us to believe and have faith. Doubt is not a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Doubt is the opposite. It's a work of the flesh. Many in the Christian music industry are celebrating this achievement and affirming her false doctrine. Instead, they should be warning her about the seeds of deception she's spreading and point her to what the Bible says about sexual immorality and those who inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's been a great departure from Christ and his word. The church, to a large extent, has become apostate. Now, don't get me wrong. There are still good churches who preach the gospel. Okay? I'm not saying there aren't. Yeah, there are still Bible-believing churches in America. Praise God. But far too many who claim the name of Christ have departed from his truth. 
Now, I'm not saying that we're living during a time that Paul is warning us about. I don't know. The falling away certainly can get worse, right? And probably will. However, we must understand that the time in which we live and balance that with Holy Scripture and Paul's warnings here. Paul wants us to know that before the end comes, there will be this great rebellion of those who name the name of Christ, yet deny who he really is and deny what he actually said. They will still claim to be a follower of Jesus, but they're not. They've departed. They have been deceived. We dare not gloss over this warning that Paul sent to the Christians in Thessalonica. It is there in the New Testament for our benefit. Their struggles, experiences, challenge, and trials are not unique to their geography, their culture, or their historical timeline. Let no one deceive you by any means. That's what scripture tells us. So what does the word deceive mean? In the Greek, it's one word that means to lead out of the right way, to cause someone to have misleading or erroneous views concerning the truth. The Webster 1828 Dictionary defines it this way, to mislead the mind, to cause to err, to cause to believe what is false or disbelieve what is true, to impose on, to delude, okay? And in this entry in the 1828 Dictionary, we also have uh, a verse, a Bible verse, giving as an example. And they use this, Matthew 24, verse 4 to 5, where Jesus is giving a similar warning to his disciples, where he says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. So, let no one deceive you means let no one lead you into the wrong direction to cause you to believe as, as true something that is false. These warnings do not say let no one lie to you. These verses do not say let no one try to deceive you. These warnings do not say let no one be deceptive. These verses do not say let no one tempt you. Okay? We're going to be tempted. We're going to be lied to. We're going to be um, attempted to be led astray. But the warning is about how we're to respond to it. We're told, let no one convince you to err, to believe in false doctrine, or also known as fake news. Right? Deception is when we choose to believe something as true that's actually false. So I can't control what anybody tells me, but I can, I can control what I believe. When Paul says, let no one deceive you, the responsibility is on me, whether I'm deceived or not. I cannot control deception out there. Deception is going to happen. Deception is going to take place. But I have a choice on whether I believe that deception or not. Our response to false doctrine and deception can be found in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Scripture says, Cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Every thought. We're warned to not let them lead us astray. 
What's the danger of being deceived? Well, I I understand this. You're, You're probably thinking this in your mind. Dave, we don't know when we're being deceived, when we're truly being deceived. We don't know it because, well, we're deceived. Well, if we're truly deceived, it means we believe something as true that is not true. So we don't know that what, what we believe is not true because we're deceived. Okay, I get that. For example, let's think of something. A good example is someone dealing with gender dysphoria. Right? They believe they're the opposite sex, right? Or something else <laughs> that they're not, that God created them to be. That's the power of deception. Let no one deceive you by any means. Paul says, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, how many lawless people since Jesus walked the earth? How many lawless people have been in this world? How many? Four to five? Bazillion? (laughs) Right? A lot. I believe that Paul is warning us about a unique individual that will come in that time whose scripture identifies as the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. And he is personally and directly empowered by Satan. So the lawless one will be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God proclaiming to be God. Okay, this man of sin is described in Daniel 7, 8, and 11, if you want a quick description of him and what he does. And then Revelation 13 describes this great opponent, false antichrist, who will claim to be Christ and even have a phony but verifiable death and resurrection just like Christ. So if you want to learn more, Daniel 7, 8, 11, and Revelation 13, uh, Brother Greg has spoken about this. Uh, already. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, we find another warning from the Apostle Paul about false teachers and deceitful works. We should not be looking for Halloween like um, creatures with pitchforks, tails, and horns. Okay? No, because he says, Paul says, don't marvel because Satan himself and his angels are transformed into what? Angels of light. Angels of light. They're not going to have pitchforks. Okay? When Satan and his Antichrist comes and operates in the world during tribulation period, he's going to stand and say, I am Christ, I am God, and many people will believe him. His mission, once you read Revelation 13, is to dethrone God and to destroy man and any chance he has for redemption. His mission is presently being frustrated or restricted by God's word and God's spirit. Now we're told that during a 42-month period in Revelation 13, he will be given authority to make war against God and his creation. It's hard to believe how bad things are now and how bad things are now still with God's spirit and people restraining him, right? The light in the world, the salt and the light in the world right now is still restraining, holding back corruption. I don't know if we can imagine what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit uh, is no longer restraining the evil in this world. 
But that's good, that is gonna, it's gonna happen. And Satan will have fuller permission. And I think all of this, what's most practically instructive about this teaching is found in um, 2 Thessalonians 9 through 12 says this. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so Satan through the Antichrist will do legitimate miracles that will cause reluctant people to believe. These are lying wonders. Please note, not all of that which is supernatural is good. Satan is supernatural. He's nowhere as fantastic as our God, but he is the greatest creation that God ever made, who chose to rebel, and he can do supernatural things. Remember the plagues of Moses? Moses threw down his rod on the ground and became a snake. What did the magicians do? They did it, and they became snakes. They also turned water to blood. They could repeat certain miracles. But finally, there was a plague that they could not repeat. And you know what they said? This is the finger of God. <laughs> the finger. Not the hand, the finger. <laughs> that they could do some tricks that were limited. These were actually supernatural acts that were done by Satan with the intent to deceive. Okay, folks are going to say, I saw, I heard, I felt. Okay. You saw, you heard, and you felt. But what you saw, and what you heard, and what you felt must always be defined by this. Always by the word of God. This does not change. This is God's word. This is the truth. You have a choice. You have a choice to believe the human experience, or you have a choice to believe the word of God. Those who choose to believe the experience are going to be those in the end time that think the Antichrist is in fact Christ and Satan is God. And they will die and spend eternity separated from God. Anyway, deception is the strategy of our adversary. He's going to continue to use social media platforms, news media, academia, the music industry, Hollywood, and other mechanisms to promote false narratives in order to pull people away from God. Get them away from God. Antichrist philosophies and principles are growing louder and louder in our culture. We see the godless growing more bold and more overt, don't we? Two plus two equals five because two plus two equals four is white racism. What? Like the sons of Issachar, it's vital that Christians understand the times in which we live and know how to respond. As long as we know the truth, the truth will make us free. They cannot block and ban what they want. They can't block this Bible. 
That's what I mean to say. They can't block it. I've got it in my house. I've got others in my house. We can and should be reading it every day. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. We find similar warnings in the New Testament. For example, Colossians 2, verse 4 to 8. Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Right? Rooted and built up in him and established in faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Then you have the first epistle to Timothy. Paul wrote this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There's a message right there. Doctrine of demons. What? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In the latter days, people are going to walk away and abandon a relationship with Jesus? Are you serious, Dave? Yeah. I believe it's going to happen. To be clear, I'm not saying that true believers are going to lose their salvation. I'm not saying that, because I don't believe that. However, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells us the parable of the seeds, right? In this story, Jesus tells us of a man who was scattering seeds in a field. Some seeds were eaten by birds. Some fell on rocky ground where they were quickly withered away. Other uh, seed fell on thorns and were eventually choked out. But the seed that fell on good soil brought forth an abundant crop. So should we be surprised to hear that some people are going to abandon a life of faith? Well, I don't think we should be surprised. We've been warned. <laughs> Scripture's full of it. The Bible says the just shall live by faith several times. In the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and in Hebrews, for example. Faith, not doubt. By means the source of what we live by, faith. It says the just, the righteous, the followers of Jesus will live by faith. What is faith? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. So faith is not based on our feelings. Faith is not based on my sense of what we see, smell, hear, taste, and touch. But it says what we're going, what's going to happen in the latter days, people are going to depart from a life of living by faith. They're not going to live by what God says anymore. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They're going to begin to walk by faith, but will not persevere. They're going to depart from that life. How are they going to depart from a life of faith? Well, it says in scripture, by giving heed to deceiving spirits. Heed means turning to turn one's attention to, to occupy oneself with, to devote or to give yourself to. 
So they're going to turn their attention to deceiving spirits. These people are not walking by faith anymore. They're walking by what they see and experience. They're walking by what they feel. And they're going to give their attention to something else other than the word of God. We cannot have faith without the word of God. And if we don't give our life and our attention and our focus to the word of God, our faith will go away. What are the dangers of deception? Well, if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7, it says this. By know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to, to parents. Kids, you hearing that? Unthankful. Has there been a lot of unthankfulness in this culture lately? Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Never getting there. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves, looking out for number one. There's plenty of that going out out there, isn't there? Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy. What we're reading right here is the fruit of the flesh. These are the consequences of being deceived. Moreover, in verse 3, we have a list that includes despisers of good. Hmm, what does that mean? In the NSB, NASB, it translates that as haters of good. That describes people who hate the truth so much they don't want to hear it. A good example of that is found in John chapter 8, where Jesus was teaches, teaching, the beginning of this chapter, by the way, it says, those Jews who believed him. So he's teaching Messianic Jews, right? Those Jews who believed him. They got so mad at Jesus, they tried to stone him. Read it. John chapter 8. They couldn't stand it. They didn't want to hear the truth. It's the truth. But they hate it so much, they, well, they wanted to stone him. Another example is Acts chapter 7, right? Where Stephen is pre preaching. They also got so mad at the truth, they stoned him. Right? We're living at a time that people are so deceived, they get angry at what is good and true. They will do whatever they can to stop it, silence the truth, shut them up. They want to kill them. They hate it and will do whatever they can to shut it down. It's happening right before our eyes today. It's not as violent, but it's happening. You see the beginning. Our culture is being flooded with anti-biblical philosophies and ideologies. These fallacies are affecting many churches and many Christians. 
it hurts me to my core to hear Christians, even before the election, saying abortion is not a major issue of injustice. It hurts me. The aborting of our babies is the greatest sin in America, second only to the sin of unbelief. Because it targets and destroys God's crown jewel of creation. I want to end with some practical takeaways for our life. Number one, God's truth directs and empowers the way we live. Okay? This. God's word directs and empowers the way we live. First Timothy chapter 4 it says, Paul says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands and the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I want to pause for a minute there. I want that to sink in. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Not partially. I mean, when you think about it, you know, 15 minute, 30 minute devotional every morning pales to, to what Paul's telling us to do here, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Being in your devotions every day, being in the Bible every morning, 15 minutes, half hour, whatever it is. But he's saying meditate on these things. Are we meditating on them all day long? Give yourself entirely to them. What does that mean? Secondly, as far as the practical takeaways for us, God's truth protects us against deception with discernment. He gives us discernment. If we'll remember that, if we'll judge all things by the truth of God's word, we'll never be deceived. God's truth protects us. Matthew 24 says this, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Okay? Okay, even the elect. They're going to be so convincing. And of course, he's talking hypothetically here, right? But they're going to be so convincing, you could actually trick a believer, if possible. Because they're real. They're wrong. They're lies. But they're real. You know what I'm saying? We've got to be in here. We've got to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false apostles... Deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Okay? John says this in 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit 
But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay? So the only protection from all these schemes and games and evil signs and wonders is to be a lover of truth. You have to be a lover of truth. Being a diligent student of God's word, being a lover of what's good, God's truth, will enable us to be discerning about the artificial and the counterfeit. It's the only way. Finally, there's one other quick takeaway here, and that is this. God's truth warns us against delay. Delay is fatal for the lost because there is coming a time, and it's not today, but the time is coming when those who reject Christ enter, enter the day of the Lord, and God will send them strong delusion, and they will believe the lie. Don't delay. Praise God, we know that God is patient and kind, right? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? God is long-suffering. Thank you, Lord. He's patient with me. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there's an end to his patience. And, if, and so, if listening to this, and you're lukewarm in your faith, you're lukewarm in your devotion to God, you're in a very dangerous spot. If you're not a sold out servant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you've got to understand something. Jesus died for you. He laid down his life for you and paid the ultimate penalty for your sins, for my sins. He rose again from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? I'm not trying to manipulate anyone, right? I'm not, really. The truth is, though, delay can be very dangerous. And delay is dangerous for you and for me as believers, too, if we don't understand the time in which we live. Does the world understand what time it is? No. But God lets us know what the season is. We can know the season. That should produce in our hearts an urgency to be in his word, to obey his commandments, and to practice the fruits of the Spirit. It should give us a sense of seriousness to share the good news of the gospel because someday, maybe not tomorrow, probably not tomorrow, <laughs> but someday we'll be one day too late. We should not delay. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and, there, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time. This is important. And do this, what he just said. Knowing that the time is high to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Okay, listen to this. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And that was 2,000 years ago, right? The day of salvation will soon be here. I can tell you this, it's 2,000 years closer than it was when Paul wrote it in Paul's day. Let me close with this. 2 Thessalonians, verse 2 through the end. So the last verses, 13 through 17. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word, this word, and the epistles which are in here. <laughs> Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation of good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Brothers and sisters, it's high time to cast off the works of darkness. We need to be rooted and very serious about the word of God. Amen.